0: Welcome to the Commodity Culture Podcast, where we interview prominent investors in the commodity space to give you the inside scoop on the emerging commodity super cycle. And now, on to the show. Hello and welcome to Commodity Culture Interviews, where we dive into commodities investing to help both new and experienced investors get an overview of the commodity space. And today we're focusing on agriculture with special guest Jack Gamble, aka Nobody Special. Before we dive into this, standard disclaimer, none of what you hear today is financial advice. Don't invest in anything because you heard about it on a YouTube show. So uh, Jack is the host of the Nobody Special Finance YouTube channel, where he's amassed over 11,000 subscribers, and he touches on the global economy, macroeconomics, and geopolitics as they pertain to the commodities space. Jack, welcome to the show. Thanks, Jesse. I appreciate you having me. It's great to have you on. I'm a big fan of your channel. I think it deserves a lot more subscribers. And uh I wanted to start off with an introduction uh on your own journey into investing. You know, I'm with this program, I'm trying to give an overview for people who might be new to the space. So when it comes to investing in commodities and particularly agriculture, which we're talking about today, well what got you started and, and how did you get to where you are now?
1: So I knew absolutely nothing about finance until age 20, really I mean, I mean i spent my whole first 20 years in academia in high school elementary school and college and i didn't get the most basic lesson in finance until my brother's graduation ceremony at rowan university in new jersey where i grew up when i was 20 years old my brother was graduating and the commencement speech was given by a guy named rick edelman who some of you may have heard of him he's the founder of edelman financial engines you know he was a multi-billion dollar asset manager. Um, He actually wrote one of these books that's over my shoulder here, The Truth About Money. And his speech was, look, you know, you've all been to graduation speeches. Nobody cares what I have to say, but I've got you for 15 minutes. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to teach you how if you quit smoking, you can become a millionaire. And that was just really caught me off guard. And he spent the next 15 minutes doing the math of compounding interest and how, you know, at the time, a pack of cigarettes was like $4 a pack. And if you put $4 a day instead of into your lungs and causing bad health, if you were to put it into an IRA or an index fund that tracks the S&P 500, by the time you retire, that'll be well over a million dollars. And I was just like, wow, this guy just pitched the stock market instead of telling me, follow my dreams and my hopes and the future is now and all that other standard commencement speech garbage. So, And really, I was amazed because at the age of 20, that was the only financial education I had ever received. And that just speaks volumes about the state of our education system. Um, So that was the start of my finance journey. And then I I guess I got my first taste of commodities really in 2020 um, with everything that started with the pandemic. And I had kind of sniffed out that there was some turmoil coming in the markets in the months leading up to the pandemic after the repo madness situation. And then when I saw the response to the pandemic was going to be money printing, I said, well, I'm going into gold and silver now. Like, forget it. If they're going to print trillions of dollars. And uh, that was my first taste of the commodity space. And then the ensuing madness of silver squeeze movement and everything after that, I I was hooked at that point.
0: Interesting. So when it comes to investing in commodities, from your perspective, when we're talking about agriculture in particular, you know, there's a lot of different spaces. There's precious metals, there's energy, whether you're talking about uranium, oil and gas, et cetera. When it comes to agriculture, what's your experience specifically there and how do you feel that it differs from other commodities?
1: So there's two differences that in my limited experience I found with agricultural commodities. Uh, The first one is that no matter how good your thesis might be or how good your DD is, your research, Mother Nature can come in and throw a monkey wrench into your plan at any moment. right? At, At any time, you can get a drought all of a sudden limits your supply, or you could get a bumper crop in some country that just floods the market with supply. So you can do all the supply and demand research and market analysis and everything, and then mother nature can just come in and ruin it at any time. So you have to, you have to be aware that that's out there. That's a factor that doesn't really affect the other spaces so much. I mean, you could always have a hurricane that hits the Gulf and affects oil prices, but that's an extreme example with, with food commodities and agriculture. It's, it's magnified in that sector. And the other big difference, and this is the main one, I think, is that food demand is inelastic. Um, with, with other commodities, say oil right now, we're all living through higher gasoline prices worldwide. So we're driving less, right? The higher gasoline prices go. We're carpooling more. We're planning our trips a little better. We're not just getting in the car and going. It's part of our calculus. So you have this demand destruction that's going on in energy markets right now as prices rise, it's driving less consumption. You don't get that with food, right? When, when times are tough. People got to eat when times are good. People got to eat. It doesn't change based on prices. So because that demand is inelastic, the, the price swings can actually get more violent if this if the supply chain is not managed very well. And unfortunately, you know, the key word, they're violent. I, I see that's kind of where things are going with this food situation right now, because when it gets too expensive to eat, people don't eat less. People get angry. And that's a bad recipe for global civil
0: unrest. Yeah, we'll dive into that aspect of it a little more later. Uh and I'd like to touch individually on some of the commodities within the agricultural space now. Uh and of course the war between Russia and Ukraine's pretty put a pretty big spotlight on wheat, seeing as Ukraine, I believe, is the fifth largest exporter in the world of, of grain and Russia's the first. And you know, there's a lot of tariffs and, and sanctions happening to them uh as well from countries around the world. So how do you think the war in Ukraine specifically, and it will affect the wheat industry and maybe give us an overview of it in general a little bit as well.
1: So obviously, I mean, wheat ran like crazy in the opening days of the war, more so than any of the other agriculture commodities. It's come back down a little bit, but I I don't think that story is over. Um, As far as you've had the immediate price spike, but beyond the immediate price spike, there's questions now, is the spring planting season going to happen in Ukraine? Right? You, You can't plant your field if there's tanks sitting there shooting at you. Um, so the the echo effects of this are going to last for a while, um, probably for a year or two. Um, the other thing, you know, the grain that's already been grown, the grain that's in silos in Ukraine, it's, it's not getting out of the Black Sea. So it's it's not going to get to market. So you, you've had the market has lost one of its main sources of supply. That's going to drive more of that demand over into the US and Canada, some of the other Wheat exporting countries where you're going to have more people competing for the same supply. So it's going to drive prices up. And I've been saying on my channel a lot that most of the casualties from this conflict are not going to be in Eastern Europe. They're not going to be in Ukraine and Russia. They're going to be in Africa because Africa gets 50% of its wheat from Russia and Ukraine. And I don't know that the Russian supply has really been that affected, but the sanctions will make it harder for that supply to reach Africa. And in Africa, you do have a lot of people that already during good times are living, you know, within arm's reach of starvation. It's very food insecure. So a minor disruption in global food supply has huge ramifications in that part of the world. And I I think that's where most of the humanitarian effects of this conflict, believe it or not, that it's not going to be on the battlefield. I think it's going to be in Africa.
0: Now, natural gas is also something that has come into question recently, natural gas supplies, because... Russia supplies so much natural gas to the rest of Europe, including, you know, a lot of parts in Eastern Europe get, I believe, 99% of their natural gas supplies from Russia. So from an energy perspective, that's a little bit alarming. But what a lot of people don't know is the the role that natural gas plays in the production of fertilizer and how that could potentially put fertilizer um, in you know, a precarious position. So could you talk about that and where you see the fertilizer sector in general at the moment?
1: You know, up until last fall, I really didn't have much clue just how vital natural gas was into the fertilizer markets. I was doing some research uh, into a potential video because I saw that the Chinese were restricting some of their energy exports, that there was some flooding in northern China. It was affecting their energy markets. And that had indirectly led to a lot of zinc smelters in Europe shutting down because zinc smelting requires so much energy while i was researching that a lot of those articles also mentioned that some ammonia plants had shut down now again i, I was totally agricultural ignorant at the time so i'm thinking well fewer ammonia plants what i guess there's going to be less mop and glow sold like that's not but i did a little bit of digging instead and then i realized oh my god ammonia that's fertilizer that's next year's food well that's big that's important And, you know, we already have this inflation thing going on. So I started digging into that a little bit more. And within a couple of minutes, I just remember just saying, oh, my God, this is huge. This is the biggest story next year. It's happening already. And people don't see it yet. Um, Because natural gas, besides chemically, you know, you take the carbon and the hydrogen from natural gas and you mix in some nitrogen from the atmosphere. And that's how you get ammonia, which I think is NH3 is the, uh, the formula for ammonia. And that is the main ingredient in nitrogen fertilizer. And not just a little bit. I mean, nitrogen fertilizer, that is literally the, the molecules you're going to eat next year, right? The fertilizer goes in the ground. It eventually goes into the plants and into the food that you eat. And, you now, I started, I've been doing a little bit of reading just since the fall. You know, the average nitrogen or the average ammonia price was about $300 a ton through the last decade. And right now, it's over $1,600 a ton. So that's quadrupling, more than a quadrupling of the price of fertilizer. Now, put yourself in the position of a farmer. He's already got his higher fuel prices that he's dealing with. He's already got his supply chain. It's hard for him to get parts for his tractors. His labor is getting more expensive. His people demand higher wages. Farmers are getting squeezed from every direction. Right. So we're not just going to get higher food prices that leads to more food growing because Actually, we're incentivizing farmers now to grow a little bit less because farmers are now, you know, they, they put three or four fertilizer applications and you have you get this diminishing return. The first fertilizer application gets you the most yield. The second gets you a little less. Well, that last application in corn, for example, you may only get an extra four or five bushels per acre out of your corn crop if you do that last fertilizer application. Well, now with the price quadrupling, Those four or five bushels per acre are no longer worth the cost of that fertilizer, so farmers are going to use less fertilizer. That means crop yields are going to drop. So not only are we dealing with the situation we have right now with the inflation and the rising costs, but we're looking at restricted supply in the future because of this fertilizer situation, and that is not yet baked into the food price situation.
0: You've done some interesting videos on your channel surrounding corn, which I found very enlightening. Could you give us an overview of the corn market now as well and and what's going on there?
1: So I I focused on corn with the fertilizer story mainly because corn is one of the most fertilizer intensive crops. It corn cannot extract any nitrogen from the atmosphere like soybeans can. Corn gets all of its nitrogen from the ground. So when I read the fertilizer story, I zeroed in on corn because that's the most vulnerable to fertilizer price swings. Um now, when you research into corn, corn is the biggest crop in the U.S. I mean, by far, you can drive from Pennsylvania to Nebraska and see nothing but corn the whole way there. Um, about forty percent of all corn grown in the U.S. actually has nothing to do with food; it goes into fuel in the form of ethanol. So, the higher energy prices that we're seeing is also going to drive up the price of corn because we're going to see more demand pulled in the ethanol markets. Now, I'm not personally a very big fan of corn used for ethanol. I don't. I, I think it's better. The corn is better used on keeping food prices lower. Uh, but that situation is not going to change. And there's a big reason why ethanol is never going to go away. And that's US politics, All right, The way presidential primaries in the United States work, Iowa, the Iowa caucus is one of the first major elections in determining who's going to be president of the United States. And every politician at every level in the United States political system has dreams of one day winning the Iowa caucus. And so nobody is going to be that politician who steps up and say, I think Ethanol subsidies are a bad idea because they are a terrible idea. They haven't really delivered on the promise that they, they've they made. But the first politician to stand up and say that automatically loses the Iowa caucus. And so that 40% of corn demand going into ethanol is not going to go anywhere without a major shift in the way politics is done in the U.S. So don't hold your breath on that. About another 36% of corn goes into animal feed. So you might be sitting here saying, oh, corn prices are going to go up. Well, I don't eat much corn. That's no big no big deal. Well, if you eat chicken or if you eat beef or if you eat pork, you eat corn because that's what we feed to the animals. Um, That's more than a a third of it. And then the remaining 24% is broken up into a mix of industrial applications. I mean, corn starch is used in the manufacture of batteries. Uh, High high fructose corn syrup is a big one, you know, has a lot of negative health effects for people. So I don't think anybody's going to be too worried about that but it's used in a lot of things. I mean, corn is everywhere. About 80% of the products
0: in the supermarket have corn in some shape or another in them. So this all seems like a perfect storm is brewing in a way for food shortages. Where do you see things going in the end? And do you think it will push things more towards local food production, you know, moving forward for a lot of these countries? Yeah, I, I mean, right now, organic has been this...
1: Kind of catchy phrase that's been gaining steam for the last twenty years or so. Uh, organic has always come with a pretty hefty price premium attached to it. Well, now as chemical fertilizers get much more expensive, the the arbitrage, the difference between those two, is going to slowly fade away. You know, you may see the organic stuff get more expensive as the other stuff comes up, but the gap is going to shrink, and organic may not become this premium product anymore. Organic may become a necessity that we need because. We're going to have to do things like natural fertilizers. Um, you're going to see more farmers using manure instead of using chemical fertilizers. Uh, you're going to see a lot of use of cover crops, um, all these different innovative agricultural practices that I think are going to get more attention now, more R&D, because the chemical fertilizer situation is going to get so bad. By necessity, I think we're going to see a lot of innovation in the agricultural space in the coming years. We may even see things you know, like aquaponics, hydroponics, vertical farming which right now are these scientific american article gimmicky things but the business case for them is now getting stronger as chemical fertilizers go up in price so there's some good that could come out of that unfortunately none of that is going to be here in time to alleviate what's coming not not even close uh, i mean we we live very food insecure as a society i mean here in the united states or in some other parts of the world we have relative food security but you know a lot of people more than a billion people live within a few days of starvation on a regular basis. And unfortunately, this is going to hit them the hardest. Uh, And another thing, when it gets really expensive to eat, you tend to get a lot of civil and social unrest, right? The last time food got anywhere near the prices it's at right now was 2011. 2011, we had the Arab Spring. The Arab Spring started when a guy in Tunisia had his food cart confiscated by the government and he gave up hope he had no chance of a better life because inflation was so bad and he couldn't afford to feed his family that the guy set himself on fire as a form of protest. And the next thing you know, we have this cascade of protests and governments collapsing and a civil war that's still raging in Syria right now, all stemming from food prices going higher that caused this one guy that put him over the brink. There's no way to predict something like that. So unfortunately, as food prices continue to rise, and they will rise severely in the coming years, I think we're going to see a lot of civil and social unrest around the world. It's going to start... In the poorer parts of the world, but I don't think the West is going to be immune to it to be honest with you
0: so it sounds like bad news, but perhaps a light at the end of the tunnel with organic growing and more um, you know homegrown food and uh, more local food production to avoid the issues of supply chain breakdowns as well as getting your food supplies from other countries places like russia who you've you've sanctioned or or whatever but what opportunities? are out there right now for somebody who's an investor looking to deploy capital into the agriculture space. What, what do you see out there right now?
1: My personal investments, I've done pretty well with agricultural commodities in the last couple of weeks. Um, in commodity ETFs, I'll say. Um, personally, I don't like to go out on margin in any way. I like to find risk um, in the future space especially for a new investor, that's dangerous, all right? Because when you're dealing in futures, you're talking about very, very large numbers, and you can lose way more money than you put up when you're investing in futures. So don't wade carelessly into the futures market, folks. Trust me, the graveyards are full of guys, financially speaking, who, who did that. So I like to go into the commodities ETFs because I have a very defined risk there. I can't lose more than I put in. I do limit some of my return when I do that, and then you have time decay and things like that that are working against you in that space, these headwinds that you're constantly fighting against, but again, the defined risk, I like to stay there. Um, And like I mentioned before, you are going to see, I think, a wave of innovation, so keep your ears to the ground about that next big thing in food production or somebody who comes out and claims that they can reduce fertilizer reduction or comes up with a less energy intensive process for developing ammonia or something that doesn't require as much natural gas. But again, I, I don't anticipate that coming anytime soon. I think that's still a couple of years away.
0: So if you are a new investor in the space, um, ETFs, you're saying, is a is a good idea because you, you lower your risk by owning a basket of companies within a particular space. Uh, what about... Individual stocks, do you think that's something that if if an investor really wants to take the time and make the effort and dive into it, that that's something that's worth looking at? Or, or would you say to to be less risky overall? Individual stocks isn't
1: necessarily less risky. You do have to do more research. When, when you invest in an individual stock, you need to really dig into that particular company. You need to know who the CEO is. You need to know what his background is, right? What happened to the last company he ran or the company after that? Um, you need to look at the quarterly reports. you got to open up the financials. you got to listen to the conference calls. There's, there's a lot of DD, a lot of time in order to do a real research that you owe it to yourself to do before you put your money into a company. And that can eat up a lot of hours. All right. With an ETF, my personal, I, I call it passive aggressive investing because you can cast a wider net. Now, you do have to open up the ETF and look at the companies that are in there. But you don't have to do that deep dive into every single one of those companies because one of those companies could take a big hit if the CEO gets caught up in some scandal or something and it's not going to drag down the whole ETF unless that one company is 50% of the ETF. Um, so it it allows you to invest in a macroeconomic trend without doing this deep dive into every single one of those companies. And that's that's why I like that strategy.
0: And what about geographic diversification? Do you think that's an important thing to maybe hold an ETF that has companies in a few different countries, something international as well as something local?
1: Absolutely. Um, you have to know where these companies are. Um, you know, Right now, South America is relatively stable. You have a, it's an agricultural hub. You've got Brazil and Argentina are two of the biggest food exporting countries in the world. So agricultural companies centered in that part of the world, you don't have the geopolitical risk down there that you have in Eastern Europe. Um, agriculture companies here in the States, a little bit more secure. Um, The one thing I was looking at a couple of silver ETFs recently, silver mining ETFs. I know it's not agricultural, um, but just to uh, reinforce your point about geography, I couldn't figure out why this SIL ETF, the silver miners ETF, was underperforming all the other gold and silver miners ETFs. And then I realized one of their biggest holdings, it was 15% of of the portfolio, was a Russian mining company that had now been effectively sent to zero because of the sanctions. So you do have to open up these ETFs, see what's in there and where they are, what they are, who they are. So that's interesting you should mention geography because that was just a couple of days ago I ran into that.
0: So are there any specific resources that you yourself refer to when you're looking at companies or ETFs or just the sector in general, whether it be you know websites, newsletters, or anything that kind of helps you make decisions? Yeah,
1: uh, there's a few, you know, just in the last few, few months that I've been following. Illinois Farm Policy News, that's from the University of Illinois. They do some good research in the agricultural space. Um, AgWeb is a good website that I read a lot. And uh, DTN, Progressive Farmer, has been particularly good with some of their coverage of the fertilizer story with the breakdowns of the price movements week by week. So I've been following those a lot. And really just get to know some farmers right follow some of these farmer channels on youtube if you live in an agricultural area you know talk to these guys because most financial press all right they're housed in new york and farmers are just these ignorant people in flyover country who need to shut up and grow their food that's their attitude towards (laughs) towards agriculture in general right so they don't exactly have boots on the ground or have a very Good reliable source of information. So when you see guys on CNBC talking about what's going on with farmers, it's either wrong or it's biased or it's way, way late. All right. So you're not going to get good agricultural news from traditional financial press. You've got to go directly to the source. So get to know a farmer. That really helps.
0: Great advice. And this has been an awesome conversation. I think you gave a great overview of the agriculture sector. So we'll end things here and I'll hand it off to you. Where can people find you online? Is is there anything you want to mention that you think people should know?
1: You can follow my channels, Nobody Special Finance. Um, I've, you know, only been doing this for a couple of months, but I absolutely love doing this. And there's a lot of other channels out there. Get to know financial YouTube, um, get conflicting points of view. Don't just listen to me or don't just listen to one channel. Find somebody who says the opposite, looking at the same data and figure out For yourself which is the right course of action because there's a lot of great information out there
0: excellent well we will put a link to uh, nobody special finance youtube channel in the description below i also very much recommend it jack thank you and we'll have you back on another day to continue this conversation thanks jesse take care commodity culture is a podcast that covers investing in commodities and natural resources If you'd like to hear more, be sure to subscribe so you are always alerted of the latest episodes.